0: Hour number two of Oilers Now, Friday edition coming up uh, in 37 seconds' time. Uh, courtesy of GCL Diesel, the one and only Louis DeBras from NHL Hockey and Rogers, and a 135, the new general manager of the Calgary Flames. Craig Conroy, the second hour of Writers Now is brought to you by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer, the ideal place to start your daily vacation. You can reach us on the Rivercree Resort and Casino Hotline, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. The River the Resort and Casino. Excitement bet on it. We'll tell you the Canadian rock icon, Burton Cummings, takes the stage June 8th at the River Rivercree tickets and more information at rivercreeresort.com. as we head off to... Uh, the River Creek Resort Casino Hotline. Sportsnet color analyst Louis DeBras for GCL Diesel, providing genuine diesel parts and turbo charges at great prices since 1972, gcldiesel.com. Louis, uh, you are as connected into the game as much as anybody is. Of course, your son, Jake, plays for the Boston Bruins. You're, you know, basically, I don't know, what you end up doing, about 80 of the 82 Oilers games in the regular season, all the playoffs games. Do you decompress at this time, or do you still stay in it and watch it on a nightly basis? It's pretty hard to stay awake because it's everywhere, so I still watch.
1: But uh, no, there's no question it's uh, it's the start of me time, as you uh, well know. And uh, I know our both our partner Jack Michaels knows that all too well. I kind of shut her down for a while and just try and get away but it seems to always be there no matter where you walk around the the games on the screen when you walk into a lounge when you walk into a restaurant anywhere you go and and to be quite honest i still do enjoy watching the games i do like keeping an eye on what's happening around the league and uh, it's been great it's been great to watch and how it's unfolded
0: i don't know if this is a fair question but i'm, I'm sure it's going to give you pause for thought what's harder like when you have a son jake on a great team like boston Coming to terms with that, or watching the team that you cover on a day by day basis that you played for, uh, you know, come up short in their Stanley Cup aspirations. Which which one of them is it? Is it tougher? Or are they different? Like, how do you sort of decompress that?
1: Yeah, you know, I think they're they're similar, but there's no question, obviously. Watching my son's team get beat out, like any parent would be, that's that's probably the harder, harder one for sure. But uh, and that's how I've always felt about it. I've never ever sugarcoated that. Family comes first to me. Um, that's my favorite team, and uh, it always will be my favorite team or whatever team he's playing on. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm around this team a lot, and I've been covering this team in some capacity for 15 years. So. Uh, it's impossible not to be around these guys and watch them grow and watch them develop and not want them to have success. That's exactly you know, what they're in this for, and you understand that as you're covering the team. and you get to see every single step along the way. and it's been amazing um, for me in particular, to kind of see how this team has grown. And I think that that's why the last conversation we had, it's not necessarily um, you know, I look at this season, and yes, it was a disappointment, but at the same time, I still think it was a step. I know people are going to say, what do you mean it's still a step? Well, I still think they got better. I think they're a better team than they were last year, and I think they'll be better next year. Just simply because the players they have that have been through this now numerous times understand you have to elevate. Everything has to go right. You need everybody on board pulling that rope at the same time, and that's what they're building towards. Uh,
0: it is a journey. And I mean, just yeah. look at just look at Jake. I mean, Louie, you were you were a big kid that could play. I was a big kid that stopped growing that couldn't play. But like in Jake's <laughs> case, in Jake's case, you know, he was he was a guy that uh, not everybody thought was going to be a major junior player, let alone an NHL player. Yeah.
1: It's amazing. You know, I, uh, you and I have had this discussion a lot of times, and it gave me a completely different... Now, I will say this. When I first started playing hockey, I was a good player. You know, I, I mean, I, I really took to the game fast. I became one of the best, if not the best, player on my team fairly quickly. So I understood being that guy on the team, being the, the front right. runner and the guy they look to to win games that went away fairly quickly for me too Uh, i was a a solid junior player don't get me wrong i was okay put up some goals put up some numbers but at the same time when i went to pro i was a tough guy and that was kind of my role and that's that's what it was having a a child grow up and be an offensive player like jake is and a smart player and a smaller player and and having to do it a different way was a real eye-opener to me and what it did was it number one made me respect that so much more understanding the difficulty of being in that position and trying to be offensive in the best game in the league now, but also the courage and the, the fearlessness you have to have when you're an undersized player and you're going up against giants every single night. And it it just, for me, when I look around the league and I see guys that, you know, have that fight, have that grit, have that tenacity and desire to be good in the world of giants and the best league in the world, uh, it just really has, bolstered my appreciation for what they had to endure, what they had to go through. Cause I had a child that was the same way. I think for four or five years, he was the smallest kid or one of the smallest kids on his team. And he had to learn to do it a different way yeah. um, because you do, because if you try and do it the physical way, um, I had to actually tell him at one point in time to stop hitting, you know, stop running into the big guys because all you're doing is taking an elbow to the head. You're taking a forearm shiver to the head. Every single time you go to run and hit a big guy like me, and it sees you coming I'm going to make you pay for that hit. Simple as that. And, you know, that was one of the things that he had to learn to steer around. And now he's starting to introduce it back to his game because he's gotten bigger. So everybody has a different journey, but it opened my eyes in a lot of ways. And I look back and I reminisce about my junior days. And, you know, it's funny. I remember... You know Corey Stillman and Todd Warner coming into the Windsor Spitfires, and I remember trying to ruffle their feathers a couple of times. You know, going into the scrum, and I was the big guy in the league, and I, you know, give them a little cross check. And I still remember like the the cheeky little like grin and and the little verbiage that went on. They weren't intimidated, and even if they were, they certainly didn't show it. They they just you know put their back up, and and I always respected that because. For me, as a big, big, tough guy, more or less, you know, you're always trying to get that, that, that edge on a player, and especially offensive players, but I always admire the guys that you could never deter. They just would look at you and say, hey, whatever, you're just part of, the, you're part of the game plan, you're part of what I have to deal with on a daily basis, and went about their work, and still put up numbers.
0: You have several advantages. I mean, you played in the National Hockey League, you got in 400 games, uh, but one of the advantages you have in the broadcast is your location. And the stuff that yeah. you you must hear. I mean, uh, we had an exchange uh, that, that went viral between Kachuk and I believe Thomas Noshik uh, during mm-hmm. the Boston series. And it, you know, I can't believe he said. It. I'm like, are you kidding me? What do you think gets said down there? I mean, there were a couple times? Yeah. You, you, I mean, you probably can't even share on air all the nope. stuff that you heard during the course of the playoffs because I have a feeling, uh, you know, it, it would be the sort of stuff that would get rated differently for movies if it was in the movies. You know what I mean?
1: It's a lot of gamesmanship, and I know. And listen, it's cleaned up, no question, as it as it should have and as it had to. But there still is lines that you you tread and lines you walk on to try and get your opponent off their game. And some guys are amazing at it. Matthew Kachuk's Kachuk, story has developed into, you know, league enemy number one. I mean, this guy is just getting it done. But not only is he doing it with his mouth and you know with his yeah. physicality, he's scoring. He's my Colin Smythe right now. I mean, as much as. You know, I think every team except for the Florida Panthers wants to rip his head off some way because he's always around the net, bumping a goaltender, drawing penalties, doing whatever – but he does it. He's done it from day one in his career, and, he, and he's continuing to do it. Not only that now, he's put up back-to-back 100-point season. So, he's a really valuable player. It'll be interesting to see whoever they play next, how they deal with him, because that'll be very important in the series, obviously. But, um, yeah, you know what? It's it, it's funny. You don't you miss a lot because surprisingly, it's really loud down there. And I, I should say unsurprisingly because you're right in that bowl, in the bottom of that bowl. People are cheering. They're directing that noise down you. The speakers are directed down to the ice. It's bouncing off that ice and boards and you don't hear a ton the stuff right close to you obviously you hear and yes we can't repeat a lot of that but for the most part i would tell you that the players today it's more about just answering the bell it's more about just kind of speaking up with somebody gets near go it's about not backing away similar to what i was talking about before um you know, you bump into a guy on the shift as you're coming back to the benches, you want to get that last word in. There's a few guys that are great. Vendor obviously, is one of those guys that, you know, continually join with the, the opponent across the way, and that's how he gets them off their game, how he gets himself into his game. Um, and there's different players that are really good at it. And then there's some guys that are sneaky. You don't even realize they're those guys. You you kind of watch them go, wow, I didn't know you were that verbal, like a Marcia so, let's say, in uh, in the Vegas series, which was very active between the benches. You know, um, a guy like Brett Howden started to get a a little more physical and started to get you know chirping a little bit, and you saw guys come off like Ryan McLeod. Ryan McLeod has that little cheekiness and that little little kind of um, banter that goes back and forth, and he was involved in a lot of those going back to the benches. So it brings out, in my opinion, it brings that out the playoffs even more because it's it's do or die, and the games are so so important that. You know, it brings you to that level where the
0: competitiveness comes right out to every player, and that's why it's the greatest time of the year. It's interesting that the two Kachuk boys, I mean, Matthew went sixth, then Brady went fourth. Uh, Evander fought Brady this year, and I mean, he'd be the first to tell you, legit tough. Brady's legit tough. Oh, yeah. Matthew's, Matthew, there was a time he wasn't taking fights. He's taken a lot of fights. the last. I mean, those guys are ultra-competitive players that have made it to the NHL. Walt's got to play a factor. And Then I think of Jake, and I think of Jake maybe surprising people. And do and you think maybe the fact that, you, you know, and obviously Keith Kachuk was a hell of an NHL player, legit power forward. Do you think that that helps in the journey for players when they have a dad that's gone through it And in terms of the competitiveness and their ability to score and knowing where to go to score as well, because the two Kachuk boys can score and Jake can score as well. Well, I think it helps. I think
1: just because we're around the game, I I think that, you know. When you grow up around that, I can only speak for my son, and I know I know Matthew and Brady have both talked about being around it their entire career, and just you know watching their dad and being at the rink and just being around it, seeing how their dads Keith and myself interact with other players. You kind of I don't know how to, and you and I have talked about this. It's not that you you kind of lose um, being starstruck if that makes any sense. You start to look at it like it's a normal thing. You start to look at it like any child would with their with their parents' respective occupations. You look at that and go, yeah, that's what my dad does for a living. That's what my mom does for a living. This is just what they do. And you go about it, we talk about that at ease. He would be the same talking about me when I was going through, my, at the end of my career when I played, and, the, and he got to see me a fair amount and be in the dressing room and, and be around those guys and just the banter and what's going on and the talk, and he got to get comfortable a little bit. I still remember, it's funny, the first time he wanted to get an autograph. And uh, it kind of surprised me because he'd never been that guy that was seeking autographs in the dressing room. He was playing with the kids of the other dads. He wasn't running around the room looking for an autograph from Jeremy Roanick or Keith Kachuk or Teppo Newman or whoever, whatever team I was on at that time. We were we were skating in the summertime here at Perry Perns, And uh, Jerome McGinley was skating. And Jerome McGinley at that time was, you know, obviously one of the best snipers in the league and was, you know, one of those guys that everybody looked up to, the way he played the game hard, the way he scored goals, the way he fought. And there was a bunch of kids that wanted to get Jerome's autograph. And we were driving back because I brought him down to, you know, hang around the rink when I was skating. And he says, you know, I think I want to get Jerome McGinley's autograph. And I kind of looked at him. I said, really? I said, okay. I said, well, then you just got to go up and ask him. I said, you know, just – get something you want, signed, and He did the next day, and Jerome was kind enough to sign it. I still remember it, though, because it kind of really put into place, and when I look back at it years later, all that time that he'd spent around some of the big stars, and, I mean, he was in Sidney Crosby's first press conference ever in Phoenix. With his first year in 2005 coming around the league, there's Jake in the scrum talking and, and wanting to get card signed from Sidney Crosby. He was used to being in those environments, and, yeah, I think down the road there's no question that helped him um, with his mindset thinking that that's what he wanted to do, number one, and number two, that that's normal. That's what I'm going to do, and, and I can do it. So did it help him? I think a little bit down the way, but you still have to put the work in. You still have to be a skilled player. You still have to have the desire to get up every morning and go to work and do those things that will make you successful, and only the individual can do that. You can push an individual as much as you want, but only the individual can get up and do those things.
0: We are joined right now by Louis DeBrus for GCL Diesel. All right, Louis, we've had a lot of discussion about this, and it's interesting how it all went because, uh, you know, both Ken Holland and Jay Woodcroft, uh, Jay was on our show last Friday, Ken on the show uh, this past Tuesday, and I asked him about improving the team defense, 18th and 17th in the last two years, and then a couple texters said, wait a sec, Bob, you got to do, what were the defensive numbers after they brought up uh RNA and they were 13th in the final 40 games of the year. Another texter said no, no, no. If you're asking bringing back the same defense, you got to factor in what the D was once Ekholm came in while they were ninth in the league in, in goals against once Ekholm came in. So I'm going to ask you the question. Can they come back with the following three pairings next year, the Edmonton winners? Nurse well, of course C- they can. Sorry. Sorry to know you're done. Yeah, I was going to say Nurse, CeCe, Ekholm and Bouchard, Kulak and D'Arna. You tell me, what do you think?
1: Of course they can you know there's, there's no question they can and uh, number one from the small sample size we got to see where that in the mix uh to finish the regular season and then go into the playoffs i think they only get better the more they play together um the stronger philip Roberg gets you know as he comes up and gets some time here and there if they go seven if he gets in there with six if they somehow find him in the mix if there's injuries that'll be crucial if this is the, if six or seven d they want to stay with Um, but on the other side of it, I look at, you know, if they want to free up space here and they want to try and find improvements in areas, there's only so many contracts on this roster that are going to allow them to have that flexibility to go out there and maybe go out and get pieces they feel will help them more and when you look at those pieces, Kulak comes to mind, who I think played unbelievable in the playoffs and I think has really coming into his own. I like his game. CeCe's one of those guys on the right side in the top pairing at that price point. Then you've got Fogel up front. You've got uh, Yamamoto up front at that $3 million mark. I- I'm only looking at players that I'm saying, are in that price range where you can make a substantial change. If you were to take one of those off the roster, maybe input two at a lower price that you feel can benefit you more, or take a couple off that roster for one, for one big one that you think is going to help your roster more. And hopefully you have young guys that come up and fill some holes uh, to the point of getting into the playoffs. And then at the deadline, you can see what you need to acquire or bring on board if you have the room and space and the ability to do that. Um, But, Here's the thing. I guess what you're asking me, I I think they need to bolster the back end still a little bit. And, And the reason I say that is I look at the defense of the teams that are still playing and I look at the defense of the teams that have gone far in recent years and a strong defensive structured team is the team that can can push you far. There's no question they have the ability to be the most offensive team in the National Hockey League, the top power play we've seen in history percentage-wise. So when you look at those two things in them itself, you say, okay, where can they improve? It would be structurally being better defensively. So you go out there and try and acquire players that are going to fill those holes that are going to make you harder to play against. Um, that's, that's, I guess, the only way I can sum it up. Who it is they feel they want to move to fill that hole, that's up to them. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say you have Darnell nursing. you have that home on the left-hand side. You've got uh, Bouchard who needs to sign a contract, and that's really important what he's going to sign for because he's put up back-to-back 40-point seasons, and I think that's priority number one for this team is getting him inked to see where he's at and see what you have left over, and I think that'll determine the one.
0: Louie, great stuff. Thanks for joining us on Oilers Now. All right, bud. Take care. That's Louis Dobrosk. It is 122 at Edmonton. We'll step out. You're listening to Oilers Now. You can text us on the Ashley Fine Flores text line. We'll get to some text momentarily, but not before I tell you. Guests on the show receive gift cards to you. Japanese Village Edmonton's favorite Teppanyaki Steak Restaurant. You can book your celebration for the census at jvedmonton.ca. Don and the staff will take care of you there. Uncle Milt, Rich, Johnny, and the gang want, oh, whoa, you know what? Uh, they've sold out all their 2022 F-150s. Did they? Yeah, you know, I... Wow. Yeah, they're, uh... (laughs) Advertising obviously works. You know what I have to do here? We're going to save that liner for a little bit later on. Let's, uh... Here we go. Um... Uncle Milt from Brent Ridge Ford says advertising with orders now works. Uh, they've delivered their last 2022 truck on Thursday. They are still in need of quality used vehicles prepared to pay top dollar for trades in or an outright purchase. Remember, Brent Ridge Ford is a 12-time President's Award winner for customer satisfaction for a reason. If you want to be treated fairly with every aspect of vehicle purchase and ownership, call a gang at Brent Ridge Ford, 780 352 Forty-eight. That's Uncle Milt, Rich, Johnny, and the gang at Brent Ridge Ford in Wataskon, where cars cost less. Bob, I have a trade proposal for you: Kyler Yamamoto for Jake DeBrusk. <laughs> you know it's crazy. Is it a year ago, would Boston have done that? I don't know. I mean, Bruce Cassidy. Bruce Cassidy basically got fired by the Boston players, and he's going to be in the Stanley Cup final. He's a good coach. Guy's a top four coach. Um, uh, all-time 400-plus games. Certainly of the current coaches, he's got one of the best record in the year. Uh, unfortunately, Kyler had a tough year this year. The texter goes on to say, I think Yamamoto needs to go, even if it's for a six-round pick. Well, we have a flat cap and Yamamoto's going to make $3.1 million next year. So we'll have to see on that. Hmm. Bob, I'm looking at a spruce tree. I think you planted it. It's about 60 feet tall, and I can't even wrap my arms around it down. Uh, It is near the Blue River area. Uh, Well, that was 1987 that I was in Blue River in Avola. So what are we looking at now? How many years is that? Is that 36 years? That's 36 years ago. You got about the right height. It would be 50 to 60 feet high if it was a spruce. It is a possibility. I planted that tree. I don't remember a lot about those years, except where I was watching, including this day in Oilers history. That's because I know exactly where I was watching that, because uh, it was a pretty memorable date coming up. We have, Speaking of coming up, we have Craig Conroy coming up a little bit later on. Coming up at uh, 1.30 is a guy who was in tears as a result of this day in Oilers history because his beloved Boston Bruins lost to the Edmonton Oilers on this date. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Randy Kilburn up next with the global news weather traffic update.